Grace Simons stands tall in every aspect that makes a great athlete and a great wrestler and a great person. Grace Simons will always be one of the all-time greats. He dominated everybody. He won every national tournament he was in. Won four NAI championships, three NCAA championships. He'd have been a four-timer had he been eligible. There was nobody could stay with him. He was known to be the best 118-pounder in the country. And there was no one else to match him to, to make two Olympic teams. He could have made a third Olympic team, but he, he decided he did not want to give up his time with his team. I'd work out with him anytime I could, and of course he could beat anybody from his weight all the way through heavyweight. Gray took wrestling to another level. The greatest wrestlers, you would teach them one hold, and they would come back and show you 10 different ways to do that one hold. They would be innovators. I would not go on the mat unless he was in my corner. He'd be patient, and then all of a sudden, you're, you're, you're taken down, and you're, 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 you're down, and you're on your back. That's how great it was in practice. And then he would, uh, he would laugh. I'm Jason Bryant, and from the National Wrestling Hall of Fame's Etched in Stone series, this is Seven, the story of Olympian Gray Simons, college wrestling's only seven-time national champion. After five moderately successful seasons at Indiana State, Gray Simons and family headed south, down to Rocky Top, taking over for now departed head coach Joe Boone, who was an intense but jovial character from Virginia, who was always quick to tell you he wrestled at Oklahoma. Like Gray, Joe Boone was a Gramby guy, hence the connection to Billy Martin Sr., He'd been pretty aggressive in recruiting the one year he was the head coach at Tennessee. Boone was an assistant for two seasons under Bob Davis, who relaunched the Tennessee program in 1969. Interestingly enough, Tennessee did have one wrestler compete at the 1964 NCAA championships. College Football Hall of Famer Frank Emanuel, who was a state high school runner-up during his days at Warwick High School in Newport News, Virginia. Emanuel was an assistant coach on Bob Davis's first team at Tennessee. He was also on the cover of Sports Illustrated but that's another story entirely. As Gray said, Boone was a good talker and left a pretty good group of guys to build a program around. While it wasn't a near miss, Joe Boone had once tried to convince Mark Chirella to come to Tennessee by offering him Elton John tickets. Chirella went to the concert, but didn't go to Knoxville any longer than his recruiting trip. Gray saw the immediate potential in Knoxville. In Tennessee, you know, they, Joe Boone had done a good job recruiting. He brought, you know, there was, when I came in there, there were some good kids, Ethan Reeves and some other guys. So that's the one that, you know, of all the places, had the best chance to, to be a powerhouse. So they, you know, if they could have, and I didn't have a full-time assistant. If I could have, they gave me enough money, I could have kept Steve Gatosh because Steve was a great recruiter. When it came to coaching and teaching, Gray Simons knew it, but when it came to recruiting, that wasn't where he was the strongest. Here's Mary. His recruiting, if there's a weakness, that would be it, because he's not going to give you a story. He never would do that. He'd never done that, and he, you know, he's going to say, this is what we can do. I can 
teach you. I can help you be the best you can be and all that kind of stuff. But And I think he's always been like that. Over the years, he's had good guys helping him with recruiting, like maybe Steve Gadosh being one and others too. But Grace, I'm going to tell you a story. He's going to just be honest and say, this is this is what we have. <laughs> and most of the time, he didn't have money. Of course, the lock came and, you know, he, was very, he had no money. And then Indiana State was always limited. And then at Tennessee, you know, they cut back. He always was working with that issue. So you have to come just to get the wrestling. <laughs> Greg came to Rocky Top in 1975, first assisted by Ed Abercrombie and then Arthur Jones. The Vols went 22-8 and eight in his first two seasons before hitting a bit of a rebuilding stretch. Ethan Reeve plays twice, becoming Tennessee's first All-American in school history with a fifth-place finish in 1976 at 158 pounds. Reeve was third in 1977. Joining Reeve on the podium in 1977 was Virginia native Buddy Walker, who was sixth at 150 pounds. Then Long Island native Steve Gadosh joined the coaching staff, and things started to change almost immediately for the Tennessee Volunteers. You have people that wrestle for you, and stuff, and they, they'd call you and say, I got a good kid here for your arrest, you know. And they'd send you kids too, you know. I mean, we recruited, and the guy that I had, Steve Gatosh, was, was a great recruiter. You know, he brought all kinds of good kids in. He recruited Chris Edmond, Glenn Lanham, so that was a plus too, I think. I'm Steve Gatosh. I wrestled at Amityville High School in New York and then at Springfield College in Massachusetts. After that, I went with Athletes in Action and wrestled on the East team with guys like uh, John Peterson and guys like that that were all great wrestlers. So I was around really good wrestlers. And then I started coaching at a high school in Western North Carolina. I contacted Gray about coming there to be a grad assistant. So, yeah, I mean, I had talked to him a few times about it. And then when I talked to Mary, Mary was telling me how excited Gray was that I wanted to come be his assistant. And I'm thinking, man, he sure didn't let me know he was excited. I thought, when I recruit, I got to make sure people know that we want them to come to Tennessee. Recruiting to Tennessee also had its share of cultural changes to get past. One of my, one of the guys I recruited, after I was taking him back to the airport, I says, I says, how do you like it? He says, oh, coach, I like this a lot. He said, it wasn't anything I like it, like I thought it would be. <laughs> I said, what'd you think it'd be like? He said, I thought it'd be like hee-haw. <laughs> coach Gadosh now knew what he was getting into and he had to craft his recruiting strategy to match Gray Simon's technical knowledge. Basically what I did at Tennessee with, I mean, with Gray being such a genius technically, like when I first told John Peterson that I was going to UT, he said, man, I wish I could take a year off and go train with him. You know, I, I really made sure that I was helping recruit. And that's what I felt like my job was pre-internet, which was a little different. You had to know everybody. So I read everything I could and studied. And, and really what Gray always said in recruiting 
was they said, you know, you can get guys stronger, you can get them in better shape, you can improve their technique, but you can't make them any quicker. So really, we focused on trying to recruit guys that were really quick. And that worked out pretty well. In the early summer of 1979, Gray Simons was inducted into the third class of the National Wrestling Hall of Fame. The hall, which opened in Stillwater, Oklahoma in 1976, inducted Gray Simons as a distinguished member. According to the hall, a distinguished member can be a wrestler who has achieved extraordinary success in national or international competition, a coach who has demonstrated great leadership in the profession and who has compiled an outstanding record, or a contributor whose long-term activities have substantially enhanced the development and advancement of the sport. After the 1979 season, Florida and Alabama dropped wrestling. Alabama's athletic director at the time was noted college football legend and Crimson Tide head football coach Paul Bear Bryant. In Gainesville, former Florida football player and assistant coach Bill Carr was promoted to full-time AD in February of 1979. Two months later, he dropped wrestling at Florida. It left the Southeastern Conference with just five teams and in limbo about its future. Even then, Conferences needed six teams to be an automatic qualifying conference. Alabama cited financial situations and the lack of attendance at the SEC championships, which were hosted in Tuscaloosa the year prior. Alabama's program was only 11 years old. At Florida, women's volleyball was also axed at the same time. The school again cited finances and the last added first dropped kind of explanation. Auburn, LSU, Georgia, Kentucky, and Tennessee remained. Florida refugee Mike Gostitzia landed in Knoxville. Despite going 0-4 in SEC duels during the season, the Vols sent six wrestlers to the NCAA championships and placed two of them, Gostitzia at 126 and Ben Hill at 177 pounds. Gostitzia was a Gadosh connection. He'd been a high school state champion in New York and a place winner at the Junior Nationals. Hill was another Long Islander from Hampton Bays. Just a week before Christmas in 1979, Georgia announced a recommendation to drop wrestling one that would be rubber-stamped by Georgia AD and football coach Vince Dooley. Dooley was named the school's AD in the summer of 1979. By Christmas, he dropped wrestling. SEC wrestling would be no more after the 1980 season. While programs are dropping around the SEC, the wrestling foundation seems solid in Knoxville, thanks to the recruiting by Steve Gadosh. When I recruited, I, I said, I did what Gray talked about, is recruiting guys that are real quick, like Chris Edmond. Chris was third in New York. I talked to him, probably was illegal. After he finished wrestling, you know, asked him, told him I was from Tennessee. And he said, well, I grew up, I went through elementary school right near Tennessee in West Memphis, Arkansas. So, so, well, really? So, well, when did you move to New York? He said, well, I moved in ninth grade and started wrestling in 10th grade. So I said, so you were third in New York wrestling for three years. So that's pretty good. And, you know, so we recruited him. My name is Christopher Edmond, and I'm from Freeport, New York. That's about 20 minutes outside of New York City. I attended University of Tennessee on a wrestling scholarship. I was recruited by uh, assistant coach Eve Gadosh. He was there at the time, and he recruited several guys from Long Island, as well as from Ohio and 
other places around the country. He did a tremendous job recruiting guys that really wasn't in the spotlight. Once he thought you had talent, he came at you full blast. As far as calling, and he was a terrific recruiter because he didn't need the kid to talk back to him. All he needed was a heartbeat. And uh, Coach Simon is the opposite. You know, he could sit in the van and drive for hours without talking, just listening to, to the radio. Even having just a short wrestling career in New York, Chris Edmond was looking at other places that weren't Tennessee. Coach Simon was not my first pick but he was definitely my best pick. I was really only recruited by a couple of other schools, and one was Rhode Island at the time that had Coach uh, Carl Adams, which was a two-time national champ from Iowa State, and I was in love with Coach Adams. He had a little bit of a problem getting me in. It took him a while before he got me in, and when he called and told me that everything was clear, I was enrolled, and I had to tell him, Coach, I signed with Tennessee two weeks ago. Like I said, Coach Simon was not my first choice, but I couldn't have made a better choice. Edmonds' reluctance to sign with Tennessee and Coach Gray Simons wasn't because he didn't know who Gray Simons was. Quite to the contrary, Edmond had been hearing about Gray Simons for years from his Hall of Fame high school coach, Terry Hayes. My high school coach, he wrestled at Syracuse, and he knew about Coach Simon, and he would always tell us about how Coach Simon was the best wrestler ever, how Gable couldn't hold the candle to him. And it, he told us so much about how good he was, So Coach Simon became like a running joke. Like, you know, ain't nobody, you know, there ain't no Coach Simon. And we would kid him about it and stuff and tease him about it. So I was knocked off my feet when uh, at the state tournament, Coach Gadosh approached me and told me he was the assistant coach and Coach Simons was the head coach at Tennessee. I ended up taking third in the state. He, he said he thought I was the, the best wrestler there, period, in any weight class. When I got home and telling guys, other wrestlers that didn't make it to state, I'm telling them, hey, there really is such a guy, Gray Simon. And from everything I hear, what Coach Hayes has been telling us is true. Right? And that, that was the first I've ever heard of. But when I went on recruiting, recruit there, and I'm talking to him, and I'm thinking, can this be the same guy? Because he's so low-key, so nonchalant about everything, you would never think that he is this guy that won the Nationals seven times. Chris and his mom packed up the car and headed from Freeport, Long Island to Knoxville, Tennessee, about 740 miles. The car they rode in never made it. Getting to Knoxville, I had uh, some problems just getting to campus. And um, I was in a car accident. You know, during the the accident, we went off the road and went headfirst into a, a hill. 
the car rolled over three or four times. All the glass pops out. And when we made contact with the hill, I was in the back seat sleep. And when we made contact and crashed, I started to take off. And my foot was underneath the the front seat and it was hooked and I was jerked back down. It took a couple hours before I realized that I was injured. Got to the hospital, my mom, you know, they're really working on her and a friend of ours that was driving down. He really wasn't hurt, you know, minor nose injury and his back was hurting. But when I took off on impact, I was snatched back down. And a couple of hours later, I'm sitting in the waiting room trying to make calls to relatives and I feel something wet on the seat. So I go in the bathroom to to find out that I'm bleeding. And the doctors explained to me that uh, I was literally just ripped, ripped over. And Coach Thomas had to come get me from um, Sevierville, Tennessee. While I was at the hospital and my mother was really banged up and she went in the hospital, I think it was the first week of September and she came home, had to fly home on Christmas Eve. But when she got home, she still had to stay in the bed and was in traction for another five months. Coach Thomas had to come get me from Sevierville, Tennessee. And he made sure that I had a way, or he took me to River Tennessee every day to see my mother while she was there. Me, um, I really think that that was the starting point because when he came to get me, he had to take me by the the wreck yard to get some stuff out of the car, whatever could be salvaged. I just could not stop crying. So he got me to campus. Uh, I got enrolled in school and everything. It really wasn't about what he was going to do or what he could do. It was about how he treated me. And as the time went on, it came about, it wasn't even about how he treated me. The how he treated everybody else. Here's Mary Simons on what she remembers about Chris Edmonds' accident. Steve, and, and I think Linda too, but Steve really um, did a lot with going up to Sevierville and taking Chris, and we took Chris too, to visit his mom in the hospital. She was in the hospital a long time, and, and it was a difficult time. It was a really difficult time for Chris. And, and his mom... You know, Chris didn't spend, I don't think he spent any time in the hospital, but of course his mom was very seriously injured. And he said, and he he told us this, that he was, okay, uh, 
you know, I'm going home. <laughs> Let's go home. We want. I want to go home. I want to go home. And his mother said, oh, no, you don't. This is an opportunity for you. We're here. You're going to stay here. We're going to get through this. You know, he said she just would not allow it. He was, you know, he was, can you imagine? And I mean, he was in Appalachia. I mean, in that Sevierville, that would not be a good place for someone out of New York City. The 1980-81 season saw Tennessee finish sixth in the 12-team Midwest Regional, behind LSU, Indiana State, Northern Iowa, Illinois State, and Kentucky. Three wrestlers, Mike Schmidt, Tony Mills, and Chris Edmond, qualified for the NCAA championships at Princeton that year. The end of the 81 season also saw another loss from the SEC. With Georgia dropping wrestling at the end of the 1980 season, the SEC didn't sponsor the sport anymore, which left the door wide open for Pat Dye, the athletic director and head football coach at Auburn, to drop the sport in July of 1981, leaving the remnants of the SEC as Kentucky, LSU, and Tennessee. That offseason, Coach Steve Gadash pulled in another Long Island bruiser, a judoka-turned-wrestler named Wayne Caton. Uh, my name is Wayne Caton. I currently live in Phoenix, Arizona. I'm an English teacher at Brophy College Prep, and I also coach wrestling. I'm from, uh, I'm from Long Island, eastern Long Island, Suffolk County, a little town called Bellport, Bellport High School. Give everybody a little bit of a reference point. It's two towns away from Sayville, where Pete Yazzo is from, NCAA champ. It's about three towns away from Sachem, where Dan Mayo is from. Glenn Lanham is from Lindenhurst, right down a couple couple more towns over. Jesse Jansen is from down the road, uh, Kerry McCoy. So it uh, used to be a real hot spot. It's kind of died off a little bit right down that area, Long Island. But I'm from Long Island. Gray Simons and Steve Gadosh recruited me to the University of Tennessee. In fact, I never placed in the New York State tournament, but but Steve and Gray had this uncanny ability to find talent that you weren't one, two, three, or four in the state. And then they had an uncanny ability to uh, recruit these guys who had an upside. They said, oh, you know, he's got good balance or this or that. Got good character. And they would bring us to Tennessee. So Gray and Steve gave me a shot at the University of Tennessee. Caton's first impression of Gray Simons was a lot like Chris Edmonds. This couldn't be the same guy. You know, from being from Eastern Long Island, you hear, you know, rumors and like, hey, this guy, this guy was a two-time Olympian. He never lost an Olympic bout. But you hear all these things. And then what's really fascinating is when you go on your recruiting trip, he's a quiet guy. He's so modest. Right. And then then you then you then I remember the first time he was teaching technique. He, he's about chain wrestling. He doesn't do one move. He teaches five moves. What if the guy moves that leg back and then that one and then this one and that one? I mean, he was an unbelievable strategist. Before I, you know, so I what I heard, I heard about him is that he was, you know, he was up there with um, the very, very, very best. Top 10 in the United States history. You know, that's, that's how he was presented to me. Probably one of the top recruits Gray pulled in the era at Tennessee was Pennsylvania State Champion Tim Cochran. He was from Camp Hill, Pennsylvania, just outside of Harrisburg, the state's capital. Gray had an advantage with Cochran, though. 
He half grew up in Tennessee. Here's Tim. I won the state championship in Pennsylvania my senior year, and I was voted the outstanding wrestler of the state of Pennsylvania. Uh, With that, I got a lot of offers to go a lot of places. It just so happened that my father's from Knoxville, so I was a big Tennessee fan growing up. So it was a dream come true to get an offer from Grace Simons to go to the University of Tennessee. Family ties. My my mamaw lived in Knoxville, and my uncle lived in Knoxville, and my dad is from Knoxville, went to Knoxville High School. I knew who he was only because we had a half a house in the Cherokee National Forest, which is right next to the Smoky Mountains. My my we have a summer place. So I would go to the camp down there too. I go, so I knew him. But his name in Pennsylvania, where I was growing up, everyone, because he would come up and do camps and teach at the, at the camp every summer. He was always introduced as he was as a three-time national champ, outstanding wrestler. I think it was twice, Olympic team, and um, yeah. And so I got to know him when I was in high school. He's just a legend back then. His name was a lot bigger because he's so much closer to when he was his accomplishments were. Everybody was like, would love to go down to Tennessee to, to wrestle for him. Despite the geographic anomaly that Tennessee was in Division One at the time, that room was getting tough. My roommate was Wayne Caton. And uh, as you know, he two-time runner-up. And uh, he taught me a ton of stuff. Uh, and all the guys from Long Island, they, they, most of those guys are very boisterous. You know, I mean, it was, the, you know, having guys from Long Island down in Knoxville, you know, it just didn't, it was kind of, kind of weird because they're, kind of over the top guys most of them and uh but it made for a great great room those guys are all the guys from Long Island are amazing uh wrestlers the competition out of Long Island is as tough as anywhere in the United States it made for a really tough room it really did and it made everybody better much like his days at Lockhaven Gray Simons wasn't afraid to get in there and mix it up here's Wayne Caton he was fast you know he would roll around with uh, say Tim Cochran he would hand he would be hand fighting next thing you know and you wouldn't see it. Tim's on his back. Yeah, it's incredible. It's incredible. And I think that was because of all his drilling, but also he had an innate ability to know when to attack and to and to take the guy down. Kind of reminded me of Vito in the finals against uh, RBY. That's how Gray was. He'd be patient, and then all of a sudden, you're taken down, and you're down, and you're on your back. That's how Gray was in practice. And then he would uh, he would laugh. He would do this laugh to kick Cochran like. <laughs> You know, he was uh, it's kind of funny. <laughs> the 1981-82 season was solid. The Vols went 10-5 and and finished third in the Midwest Regional. But an early season injury to Chris Edmond left a hole at 158. Here's Wayne. I mean, he would throw me. He was, you know, he was a great upper body wrestler. But he tried to throw me and I kind of landed on his knee and I, I, uh, I blew out his ACL. But Gray Simons wasn't just going to let Chris Edmond sit on the sidelines and rehab. He put him to work, just like Billy Martin Sr. did with his wrestlers at Granby. Here's Chris. That whole year, he um, made me follow him around with a, a tablet and a pencil to take notes. During matches, I had to take notes on different, you know, the individual matches. And in practice, he would go around and critique from the notes the different things that happened during the matches. Taking notes and really being able to conversate with him and and get his frame of mind, the way he thought, the way he could take guys apart. He could see what they were doing and he would come up with a, a counter to it. That year that I stood out was probably the, 
the year that I made a big jump. Because the jump is mental, not so much physical. And people, you know, they look at me like I'm crazy when I say, oh, wrestling's more mental than physical. But it really is. If you know what you're doing and you know what the other guy is doing, you should be able to do what presents itself to you and counter what he's doing. If you know what the guy is coming with, you can at least get out of the way. In 1982-83, Steve Gadosh left, taking a teaching job and coaching position at Vestavia Hills High School in Alabama. After 34 years at Vestavia, he coached 98 individual state champions and won 14 state team titles. If you've heard of Vestavia Hills, it's because of Steve Gadosh. When the high school down here in Alabama offered, I was up in New York on vacation. They needed a coach. It was August. They offered to fly me down for an interview. I thought, well, they're pretty serious about wrestling if they're doing that. So that's why I came to Vestavia. And like when I retired after 34 years, there was a bunch of people that were coaching here that had been here longer than that. One of Steve Gadosh's last big recruits for Tennessee was another Long Islander, Lindenhurst native Glenn Lanham, who's currently the head coach at Duke University. I was at five visits, and that was my last visit. And there was no way, and it was a favor. You know, I, I saved it to the very end because... At the time, my, like I said, Coach Brad Merkel brought me up the varsity in ninth grade. Gray Simons was his coach. So he's like, you're going, to, you know, he coached me at Lock Haven. You, you need to save a visit for him, save a visit for him. So, you know, talking to Coach on the phone, it was, it was like, it was rough because Coach didn't, he didn't say much, you know? So I was just like, I pushed it off, pushed it off. And then finally, you know, I go down and it's, and it's, you know, it's, it's, it, the weather is, it's like, miserable in New York. It's the, it's raining. It's so I'm, I'm on the phone with coach Simons and, and he's like, Hey, uh, when you come down here, you got that, you know, slow accent kind of, Hey, make sure you bring, he said shorts. And I thought he said, bring a suit. Right. So I was like, my mother's like, okay, you're going on a visit. What, you know, what are they, what are they, what are they, what are you, what are you going to wear? What are they, are they telling you? He, I said, man, this is weird. The coach said, bring a suit, you know? So she's like, does he want you to wear it? I said, I guess so. So, here I am, I dress up in a suit and I'm on the plane and I'm, I'm flying there and I get there to weather, it's like 85 degrees out. I'm in a blazer suit and Coach Simons is like, man, you're, you're, you're pretty dressed up for the day. And I said, well, Coach, you said wear a suit. And he's not, I said, wear shorts, you know. So right then and there, I'm like, I can't wait for this visit to be over. I'm so done. You know? And, and you know, the, I'm, I'm sweating. I'm in a suit and a polyester back in the day. You know, and I'm, I'm, we get in the car and I, there's no conversation. I get there and finally my host was Wayne Caton and Tim Cochran, you know, uh, Tony Mills was there, Chris Edmonds. So immediately I'm walking around and I'm just listening to these guys and, and, you know, they're talking about like what this program could be and what they want to do. And right then and there, I fell in love, you know, I called home and I was like, Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm I think I'm just going to go to Tennessee. And my, my, my mom was like, don't do anything until you get home. You know, and so I was like, all right, so I'll get home. Coach Simon, you know, wanted to bring up a letter of intent. I think it was like two weeks later. So I committed to him right away as soon as I left. But, you know, he's like, all right. So he comes up to my house and, you know, that's the first time my mom ever saw him. 
and you know he sits there we're talking he doesn't say much again and my mom's like wow you know so then he leaves and then my mother's like you know she's like what what is that little bow-legged man what can he teach you you know and i was just like mom i i don't know but i love the place and i hear a lot of great things about him you know and so i i just ended up going but i i i, I love the atmosphere the weather obviously was great but i think more than that it was like i was around some hungry guys too like wayne caden obviously i knew wayne uh and chris uh from new york but tim cochran just kind of sold me on what he thought tennessee could be you know and uh i just was like man he said i think we could do something great here but we need guys that want to have that type of attitude and I, i i just was all in and i just told everybody else that hey i'm going to tennessee so it was it was really more of the surroundings and the athletes uh recruiting me there than 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 coach simons and then once i got to learn what coach simons was all about it was the best decision i i i i made that season there were three regional qualifiers and the west regional saw tennessee finish fifth behind lsu northern iowa cal poly and eastern illinois wayne caton and tim cochran are the only two wrestlers to make the ncaa championships cochran was number 12 seed and fell in the second round to top-seeded chris whalen of missouri when Whelan was upset in the quarterfinals by Central Michigan's Rob Parent, it eliminated Cochran from the consolations. As in that era, the wrestler who beat you had to at least make the semifinals for you to have the opportunity to wrestle back for third. Unseated Caton fell to fifth-seeded Ed Potokar of Ohio State in overtime in the second round, but was pulled back into the consolations when Potokar reached the semifinals. Caton pinned his first opponent in the consolations before winning 14-11 over Minnesota's Michael Foy to clinch All-American honors. Caton beat Portland State's Scott Manser for seventh place at 177 pounds. On the last day of November 1982, Kentucky AD Cliff Hagen, a former Wildcat basketball player, followed a recommendation by the Office of Civil Rights to hire a full-time women's coach and eliminate a full-time men's coach. That men's coach was Kentucky head wrestling coach Fletcher Carr. Hagen had recommended to the UK Athletics Association Board of Directors to drop the sport. The 1982-83 season was the last for Kentucky. The headline in the Lexington Herald leader read, Matt Katz get pinned by Title IX. 1983 would also be the last for new scholarship athletes heading to Knoxville. There'd be wrestling, but no new athletic aid. on the next episode of Seven. At fifth seat, they'll never see you coming until it's too late. He called Gray in and talked about that he would have to cut scholarships. Yeah, we I didn't, we had no idea until the announcement was made. We didn't have any competition in the Southeastern Conference I'm aware of. You know, we just come off of eighth in the you know, country. We, we, we graduate guys, we do the right thing. Nobody gets in trouble. Seven is a presentation of the National Wrestling Hall of Fame in Stillwater, Oklahoma. This episode is written and produced by Jason Bryant. Historical research provided in part by Amateur Wrestling News, the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, the Lexington Herald-Leader, 
Montgomery Advertiser, the Tallahassee Democrat, and the National Wrestling Hall of Fame.